Peter preaches Jesus as the exalted servant who fulfills God's promise, and it's Jesus that possesses the power to heal the lame man through the Lord God. They, they don't claim any authority for this healing. They, they place the authority on Jesus Christ. And in the sermon, it, it basically kind of has two main uh, intertwined parts. So the first part was judicial. Peter emphasized uh, the assembled crowd's culpability. You all delivered and disowned Jesus to Pilate. You all denied the holy and righteous one, substituting a murderer instead. You all killed the author of life. But this man in Jerusalem condemned, God vindicated. And it's the authority and name of Jesus Christ, this uh, condemned man, that is the source of the healing of this 40-year-old man who had been lame from birth. In the second part uh, of the speech that uh, Peter gives, is more deliberate. It calls for a response, a response of repentance and receiving God's gift of forgiveness. So first, having established the crowd's guilt for Jesus' death, he now offers the grace and forgiveness of this long-promised Savior for those who will turn and repent. Um, and Peter emphasized that all of the Old Testament prophets look forward to this particular moment in time when the descendants of Abraham would be blessed through forgiveness of sins, through the promised times of refreshing, and the opportunity to participate and celebrate the coming Messiah. So after uh, we looked at Peter's sermon, we saw two reactions. One described very briefly. Uh, Luke reports that part of the crowd, uh, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So in the crowd, um, you know, this multitude of people, and, you know, again, I talked a little bit last week, like you said, 5,000 just men, is the total church 5,000, whatever conclusion you come to, it's a tremendous response to Peter's message. And, uh, uh, and, and people taking up that offer that gave the sermon of repentance and turning inside the faith. But then, um, most of the first half of chapter 4 focused on how the political and religious leadership in Jerusalem uh, rejected this message. They had Peter and John arrested, and we see uh, an account he gives us of their examination. Here the apostles stand before the chief council of, Jude of Judaism and make clear not only that their authority comes from outside of the council, but that the leadership is culpable for what they did to Jesus. And on the countless part, they're, they're in a dilemma. On the one hand, they want to stop <laughs> these men from proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming uh, the resurrection. But on the other hand, they recognize a notable sign, and that's how they keep referring to it. Like they notice that something incredible has happened, that there's no denying the authenticity of this miracle that's taken place, and that all of Jerusalem is in an uproar over this uh, event. So the miracle is undeniable, and it puts them in an awkward position. If they stop, try to stop the apostles, what will, how will the crowd respond? They recognize, uh, or the fact that they recognize the reality of the healing, yet reject the message attached to that uh, reject the name in which the man was healed, reveals this hard-heartedness, this stubbornness that stands behind the leader's rejection of Jesus. It's not a rational response. It's not a, a response in, uh, to the physical circumstances before them, but it's reflective of a persistent refusal to see what God is doing in their midst. Now, they don't punish Peter and John. Keep that in Um, but they do try to prevent them from speaking anymore, to give them a severe command. Be silent. Um, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly responds with this double negative. Um, we cannot not speak. <laughs> it's impossible for them uh, to stop proclaiming the risen Savior, the risen Jesus Christ, um, just because this council has told them to. 
the boldness that uh, uh, that the Jewish council recognized in Peter and John and the other apostles, as they called them, common, unlettered men, is not natural, but the result of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in this prayer that follows Peter and John's release. They gather with the assembled Christian community, and they pray. What do they pray for? They pray for continued boldness. They, you know, they recognize that this isn't their ability to stand before uh, the powers that be and confidently proclaim Jesus Christ isn't an inherent natural ability, but comes from the filling of the Spirit. And um, after this prayer, um, you know, we see, uh, again, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So again, the connection between their ability to proclaim God with boldness is connected to their being filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to finish chapter 4 and 5. Uh, the end of chapter 4 actually goes together with the beginning of chapter 5. Uh, you have this uh, contrast between Barnabas and other church members who share freely with one another, holding all things in common, making sure no one is without need, um, but set against the actions of Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, don't just lack the same communal charity that others possess, but by their actions and words, they deny the power of the Spirit. Uh, they will take a look at their deaths. And then in the second half, of chapter 5, we see the second arrest, um, and really the second and third arrest, as we'll see uh, as the story relates, of, of the apostles for preaching uh, in the district of the temple. So let me uh, read, uh, I'll start our reading in chapter 4, verse 32. Um, I'll read through the end of chapter 5, and then I'll open up with prayer. So hear now the word of God. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his, knowledge, his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard him. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Then Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest 
And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life, of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And when the high priest came, and those who were with him, and they called together the council and all the synod of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find in the prison, but they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in, in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Judas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But it is, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Thus far, God's word, let's ask him to open it in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. O Almighty and gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give praise for your mighty work
Let the world know you by your love for one another. And, and this is the kind of, of love that's bringing attention. Uh, you know, people see this. They see how these people are distributing their goods to meet other people's needs. How they're opening their homes to the people in their community who are in need. And Ananias and Sapphira are part of this community, and they're unwilling to do that. They want the appearance of that um, without the inward power that makes that possible. Um, and and you know, so there's this contrast. that's rooted in the spirit's power. This is what makes 
sharing all these things in common. But they're sharing all things in common because the Spirit is empowering them to do this. Um, and and um, if you think about their sin, and it's, it's not just lying to men, as Teresa said, they're lying to, to God. They're denying the power of the Spirit that drives this community. Yeah, Bill. I think this is an example where the flesh is strong and fights against the Spirit. So that, that couple were interested in the praises that belong to God and giving God the glory as the spirit would be. So they were being conformed to the world and not looking for the things of the Lord. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, they're, they're interested in the praise of men and they don't fear the power of God. <laughs> they're not interested in God's glory. And notice how like every time Peter or the other apostles do something, you know, they're not doing it to bring attention to themselves. They're doing it to bring attention to the message that they're proclaiming. They're using the things they're doing. Like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> it's, it's the risen Christ who's doing it through me. Like, they're deflecting all the praise and all the glory to God. And, and, and here you have a couple who are trying to you know, seek the praise of men. Uh, Chris. Yeah, the, you, you can kind of see the, the, the tie back to Exodus here in, in the way things are moving. You, you see the Levite who is selling everything and he's, in a sense, leaving you know, the, the priestly order that is so vehemently opposing Christianity and Christ. He's showing this, this transformation, a, a willingness to, to abandon what was seen as uh, you know, noteworthy among men, which is the the whole priestly order and the ruling class and everything else. He gives all that up. He's moving in the direction of God's Holy Spirit. Again, sort of building on what, what, what Bill had said. And then you see Ananias and Sapphira who are going the other way. They're, they're looking for things that will give them status in the new economy. So it's a, they're sort of jumping on the bandwagon there. And, and God is coming in saying that I'm building a kingdom of priests here. And you can see the, the response of the church. There's, there's fear there, but I don't think that everybody is sitting around in fear that they're going to be struck down. You realize that you're dealing with the holy God, just as the people did when they were before Mount Sinai. That there's this holy God who takes holiness and spiritual matters very seriously. And they're taking it very seriously, too. It's almost like a movement back to the kingdom of priests. It's, it's actually a movement towards the kingdom of priests that can be realized with the coming of, of the Messiah. Yeah, and that they, again, there's a, something spiritual at the root of this. Like, there is a holy God that forms the heart of this community. And you can't lie to somebody. You can't, you know, you, to do so is to deny the power. I mean, some people use this, like, you know, what's the sin against the spirit? Well, this is by saying the spirit has no power. <laughs> um, that, you know, that they're denying that the spirit is of God, is God in their midst, a holy, holy God that they're brought in the midst of this Christian community. And they're acting this way because of that God. Um, and other people, you know, yeah, like you say, they, they, they want to be the hangers on. They want the outward um, benefits of being part of this community without experiencing the inner spiritual realities of what it means to be in relationship, brought into relationship with a holy, holy God. May I just ask you uh, who this Gamal really is? Because they didn't know. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get to it. That'll be our next thing. But let's finish up with Ananias and Sapphira before we get to the same Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that they're being held. 
out. There, there will be consequences. There are consequences to trying to deceive um, the spirit. There are consequences to trying to deceive the God. And it's outward in this case, but you know, we know even if somebody's not immediately struck down as they believe to, that their death for those people, if they don't uh, acknowledge the reality of the spirit, the reality of God, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and we see here, Luke is very open. Like, even though he keeps giving us these kind of idealistic picture of the church at the end of chapter 4. In chapter 5 he's honest. Like, there's still sin within the church. Um, we see in this later uh, bit. Um, none of the rest don't dare join them. Um, you know, so none of the rest of this Christian community would dare join the apostles in the temple. Um, you know, and, and we can talk about you know, maybe why that was. But So that, you know, it's not um Everybody's not perfected at this moment. That sin still exists. The flesh still exists. Satan still exists and is seeking to devour men's souls. And, and this man uh, is filled with Satan rather than being filled with the Spirit. He's looking to um, fill the desires of the flesh rather than fill to seek the glory of the Holy God. Yeah, and, and notice how like it, it's it, this section has a nice. 
see that at the very beginning of this, this passage, right? They arrested. <laughs> that's that's no impediment. <laughs> and I love, I mean, it's just the scene. Uh, Luke sometimes paints with such, uh, you know, it, you know it's, I think it's meant to be kind of ironically funny. Like, you know, they're going immediately in the, you know, the spirit frees them. So that they can go and keep doing what they've been doing, preaching in the temple. And then you kind of have this keystone cop, like they go to the jail, nobody's there. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, those guys you arrested, they're over there. They're doing the exact same thing they were doing yesterday when you arrested them. <laughs> um, the, the irony of, like, and that's you know, part of Gamaliel's message. Like, is this, if this is a work of God, you cannot stop it. And to try to go against it is to put yourself to go against God. And you see that in the beginning. They tried to stop it, and God acted to free them in a way that they had no explanation. So, and they take his advice, which strikes me. Is that, I mean, they ignored or denied all this incredible evidence, and suddenly they had good advice. Yep. <laughs> yep, it's, it's a weird, like, um, and, and as you say, like, it, it, I think Luke is putting the emphasis on their stubborn persistence to refuse the signs before them. And even Gamaliel, it, it seems, is, even though he's the one giving good advice, if this thing is of God, it's going to last and persist and grow. God's going to demonstrate his power through it. And we see that. They didn't know it was of God. I mean, they, yeah. they knew before they chose Jesus that it was of God. And, and they are rejecting it. And I love the word here. Like he, He's making explicit their, their, their motivation. They're filled with jealousy. You know, they see the power and authority of, you know, these common, unlettered men. Like, you know, these guys are nobodies. And they've got power and authority. And we're somebodies who supposedly have power and authority. And yet, we're complaining. You're like, who are these people? That are challenging us. Like, you know, they're jealous. They see the authenticity and the power these guys have. <laughs> they see the reality of their sin, even. Like, um, they get Peter's message. Uh, you know, uh, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter, like, in his response, is that, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, that's absolutely what I'm trying to do. Because, and again, the irony there, you know, by acknowledging, that's Peter's sermon, like by acknowledging that, that you're the one who spilled the blood of Jesus and, and acknowledging the guilt and seeking repentance for that, you get covered by the same blood of Jesus that, that uh, takes away your sin and cloaks you with righteousness. It's the irony, like you want to be, you know, you know the song we sing, what can take away all my sins? You know, their hope is in acknowledging the guilt of what they've done and repenting and turning. Um, and he uses that word, keeps using that word, turn. Um, and these guys are, you know, they're moving forward. They're Does Peter invite them to repent? He got them at the end of, he, he invites the crowd. So, I mean, and his sermons, he keeps giving, um, you know, uh, so it, back in chapter 3, repent therefore, turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. And he's giving this, you know, he's just given the charge to the crowd. You're responsible for killing Jesus. Repent and turn, and your sins will be forgiven. You know, by acknowledging that you are culpable for spilling the blood of Jesus, which again, we all are, because we're all sinners and we died for our sins. So we are all culpable for Jesus' We are all responsible for his death. The difference is, is that, that we've acknowledged our sin, we've repented of them, we've turned from our, our life of sin, and and it does seem inviting the council to repent. Check out verse 31. Verse 31. Uh, yeah, I mean God exalted him as at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of I mean, that's all, that all we're 
for them too. Yeah, but it's not like that. Yeah. <laughs>